Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 23. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In the evening services uh, through the summer, we've been uh, looking at the book of Colossians. The summer weather may have left us, but we're going to continue uh, plowing through this great uh, New Testament letter. If you were here this morning, you might have heard Robin talking about how we might be taking things a bit more slowly on Sundays um, going forward. If you weren't keen on that idea, I've got good news for you. We've got 16 uh, great and densely packed verses uh, to work through this evening. Um, so as we begin, let me lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to gather around it. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged that you would warn us where we need to be warned, and that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in 2013, there was a Herodshire couple who were looking for somewhere to invest their savings. Interest rates were low, and they weren't making much of a return on their current savings. They came across a man called Alan Barrett. He offered them a low-risk investment with a better rate of return than they could get elsewhere. 
Tempted by the offer, they invested over £78,000 with Barrett. It was a scam. They and countless others lost all their money. They'd been deceived. Now, how would you feel if you were a family member or a friend of this couple? I think if it was me, I'd be angry. Angry that they'd been deceived. Angry at the people who had deceived them. And what if you'd heard about it before they'd taken the plunge? Perhaps you'd been around their house and they'd been discussing it. You could, you could smell the rat in it. You could see they were tempted. What would you have done? Would you have kept quiet, thought, it's not really my place to say anything? I don't think we would have. I think if we could see the consequences of what they were considering, we'd have warned them. We'd have said, stay clear. Don't be deceived. Because that's the loving thing to do in that situation. And in the passage this evening, we've got a similar situation. Because the young church in Colossae, they're being tempted. They're being tempted away from the gospel. They're being tempted away from Jesus by some new teaching. And Paul hears of this, and he can see the danger of it to these believers. And so he writes to warn them, and to warn them in some pretty strong language. If you look with me at verse 8 at the beginning of our passage, Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The image here is, is being of taken captive as a sort of picture of the slave raider coming into the marketplace, grabbing someone and carting them off, body and soul. And Paul's using this language, this strong language, because he wants the Colossians to grasp the seriousness of the situation. Because this is a matter of eternal significance for them. Their eternal destiny is at stake, and ours too. And you see, the basic problem with what was being taught is that it wasn't in accord with Christ. It was based on human tradition, on worldly things, and not on Jesus. Because here there's this stark contrast on the one hand between the person, Jesus Christ, and on the other hand, this sort of self-made religion. And if it's faith based on anything other than Jesus, it's empty. It's deceitful. Because ultimately it's not true. And we need to be careful. The distinction can be subtle. The teachers that were coming into Colossae, they weren't saying, oh, you need to forget about Jesus. He's a load of rubbish. We've got something much better. Rather, they were claiming to offer a kind of supernormal Jesus plus life. He's saying, you've got Jesus. If we add this to it, it's going to be even better. But in reality, it ends up being a subnormal Jesus minus version. And if that's a danger for the Colossians, it is a danger for us too. Especially when the Christian life can be hard. And when we struggle with our sin, 
when Christ feels different and someone comes along and says, look, here's something much better. Okay, you've got Jesus, but if you want victory over your sin now, then do this. Or if you want greater fellowship with God now, don't do this. It's tempting, isn't it? Because as humans, we hate the idea of missing out on something. If you're going down the street and there's a crowd of people, what do we do? We go over and we see, well, what's happening? What's happening? I don't know about you, but if I'm at work and typing away on my computer and sometimes there's a sort of commotion over there, then I'm up like a little meerkat, desperately trying to see what's going on. Because we don't like missing out. And so especially in spiritual matters, to be told you're missing out, that somehow greater fullness, greater freedom is available, it's tempting. But what is Paul's response? He says, don't be deceived. Don't be taken captive by this. For there is nothing lacking in Christ, and there's nothing to be added to Christ. Now, before we dive in and look a bit more um, in detail at what Paul says on these things, it's worth remembering the warning. Paul writes to the Colossians to warn them because he cares for them. He can see the dire consequences of them being deceived. And the question for us is, are we prepared to do that? Are we prepared to lovingly warn one another when we see they're being tempted away from Christ? Are we prepared to go and to warn them? So two points uh, to cover off this evening. First of all, nothing is lacking in Christ. This is verses 9 to 15. So throughout this, Paul is often drawing on the language of the false teachers they appear to be claiming a way to offer fullness and freedom. So what Paul does is he shows that believers have fullness in Christ. They've got freedom in Christ. So first of all, fullness in Christ in verses 9 and 10. For in him, that's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule, and authority. In him, in Christ, the whole fullness of God, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We need to stop and let these words sink in. The man, Jesus Christ, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago and is now risen and ascended into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of God, he is fully God. He dwelt bodily. He was a solid, actual reality. He wasn't a virtual reality. He was there. And he doesn't just reveal some of the attributes of God. No, he is God. The whole fullness of what God is, the creator, the sustainer, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, all of that dwells in him. That's who we're talking about here. That is the Christ that we're talking about. And then what does Paul say to the Colossian believers? Verse 10, and you have been filled in him. 
Notice the tense, it's have been. This isn't something that they, they can look forward to. This is a present reality based on a past event. Because as believers in Christ, we have fullness of life. We're lacking nothing. We have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Christ is the fullness of God. And we as believers are in him. We've got all the fullness that we can ever possess as humans on this earth. And you know, we also share in Christ's victory. He is the head of all rule and authority. Whatever forces are against us, in Christ, we have the victory. Someone who can express these things a little more succinctly than I put it like this. He says, With regard to the fullness of God's presence with us on earth, in Christ, we have all that can be ours this side of heaven. With regard to heaven's victory over powers and principalities, we share with Christ all that he has won. Now you might be thinking, this sounds great. You might be thinking, I know this is true, but it doesn't feel like it now. I feel empty. I feel downcast. I don't feel full. And in a way, that's normal. That's the Christian life. If the Colossian Christians were feeling great about everything, they wouldn't have been tempted by this teaching. And so it is for us. The Christian life is hard. The Bible is brutally honest about that. But it is living life to the full. And if we seek satisfaction and fullness and fulfillment elsewhere, we're not going to find it. Because in Christ, we have fullness of life now and for all eternity. You see, we are weak and sinful, but he is strong. He is victorious. So let's depend on him. Let's draw our strength from him alone. So we have fullness in Christ. We also have three more Fs, fellowship, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ as well. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. This is where it gets quite complicated, so we're going to try and make sure we can not lose sight of the wood for the trees here. Follow with me. In him, so that's still in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So two metaphors here, circumcision and baptism. So firstly, circumcision. And I think at this point we've got to remember that Paul's often drawing on the language and ideas of the false teachers in Colossae. And it could well be that the false teachers were pushing a message that says the outward act of being circumcised would symbolize a sort of putting off the body of flesh. So that by getting physically circumcised, you could expect to take a step forward in your battle against the desires of the flesh. And what's Paul's response? We'll look again at the tense through all, of, all these verses. 
In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised. It's past tense. Paul is emphasizing these things lie in the past. He wants to make clear to the Colossians and to us, our fellowship with Christ is based on what Christ has done. Not on what we do now, but on Christ. It is in him that we have freedom from sin. We're still going to struggle with sin in this life, but it has been dealt with by Christ. A physical circumcision, that's not going to help. We have all that we need in Christ. And secondly, baptism. He's saying we were buried with Christ and we were raised with Christ. And baptism is a picture of that. The believers in Colossae, they would have been baptized. He's saying as you went down into that water, it's a picture of dying. As you come back up, it's a picture of coming and being raised to new life with Christ here on earth. And then in verses 13 to 15, he unpacks this further. These are wonderful verses. Let's read them. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As I say, did you notice how, kind of midway through this, Paul changes from talking about you to us? It's almost as if he's getting carried away in, in the joy of what we have in Christ. He starts by saying, in him you were circumcised. You who were dead in your trespasses. And then as he considers the wonder of what he has in God, that what we have as believers, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The joy of what we have in Christ. Because in Christ we have life. We've got freedom from death. Forgiveness of sins. Deliverance from all the powers of evil. How? By the cross of Christ. It is the cross of Jesus that is at the center of all these things. It is the cross that makes all these things possible. So at the time Paul was writing, the record of debt was basically a written note of your indebtedness. It was kind of like if the bank had sent you a statement detailing all the debts you owed them. And Paul is saying that each of us have one of these. Each of us have a record of debt. A statement showing our indebtedness towards God because of our sin and our rebellion against him. A debt that condemns us to death. A separation from God. But he says God has mercifully resolved this situation for all who are putting their faith in Jesus. Because that record has been cancelled. How? Because God has taken it and he has nailed it to the cross. Because when a criminal was crucified, the indictment against them was nailed above them on the cross. So if you walked past, you could read the indictment and then below you could see the person paying the punishment for what they'd done. 
And when Jesus was crucified, what was the indictment that was written above his head? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Which was true. Indeed, not only was he King of the Jews, but he was King of the whole world. But what Paul is saying here is that what was actually nailed to the cross of Christ was the just punishment of your sins and mine. On the cross, the charges are wiped out. The debt is paid. It's as if nailed to the cross was Jesus of Nazareth bearing the debt of Callum Grewer. Jesus of Nazareth bearing your debt. That's what was nailed to the cross. The death of Jesus has met your debt in full. And this is the choice we all face. We've all got this record of debt that condemns us. We can keep it. and We can face the condemnation that it entails. Eternal separation from the God who made us. Or we can take it to the cross. In trusting in Jesus, we can see it nailed to that cross. We can have our sins forgiven. We can have freedom from death. We can have a new life as a forgiven child of God and all eternity with him. If you're a Christian here this evening, that is the Christ that you have received. This is the faith in which you've been established. Look to the cross. And there you see not a helpless victim, but verse 15, the triumphing, conquering king. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, look at the cross. This is the good news of Christianity. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Will you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Will you take your record of debt to the cross to be paid for by him? Because to each of us, what are we looking for in life? Because whatever it is, it can only fully be found in Jesus. Because there is nothing lacking in Jesus. In him there is fullness, fellowship, forgiveness, freedom. Look to the cross. Secondly, more briefly, there is nothing to be added to Christ. There is nothing lacking in Christ and there is nothing to be added to Christ. Almost by the time you get to verse 16, the second point almost becomes self-evident. If there is nothing lacking in Christ, then it follows there is nothing to be added. If I think I can add anything to Jesus, then I don't understand him fully. If you think you need something in addition to Jesus, can I suggest you've not understood Jesus? Because if you add something, you're actually subtracting. You're saying, Jesus isn't enough. I need something more. And in this section, Paul's got two warnings for the Colossian believers. This is where he's addressing some of the specific teaching that was going on at that time. Firstly, verse 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Because the false teachers reflect saying, we are better because we don't eat this and we observe this festival and that festival. And therefore, we're going to look down on you because you don't do these things. If you come and join us and do these things, you'll be better, you'll be part of our club. So that's the first warning. The second warning, verses 18 and 19, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, as basis of self-denial, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. I think one of the most bizarre Olympic events is the walking race. They do 20 or 50 kilometers, and they've got to do this kind of bizarre little waddle. Now, back in the Olympics in Sydney in 2000, Jane Savile was leading the 20-kilometer walk. They'd done all the bit out around, and then they'd come into the stadium. Um, she's within sight of the finishing line, and then out steps this official, brandishing this little red disc. She'd been disqualified. The goal that she thought was hers, was only meters away, has gone. And it's that language of an umpire disqualifying a competitor that Paul's using here. The Colossians might have thought they were doing fine. They were running along just fine. And then these people are coming along, waving little red discs in their face and going, no, you're disqualified because you're not doing X and Y. Now, if we look back at chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul's written this to the Colossians. He's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's emphasizing it is God the Father who has qualified them to share in that inheritance. And he is clear here that no one, no human is going to come along and disqualify them from that inheritance on the basis of their man-made rules. And so it is for us. If you are genuinely trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't let anyone come along and try and disqualify you as a Christian on the basis of whether you've had this experience or that or whether you've done this or that. Because in both these warnings, Paul is saying they're seeking to add to Christ. He's saying they've lost sight of Christ and who he is. They've mistaken the shadow for the reality. They've become detached from the head. And he concludes in those final four verses from verse 20. He concludes by showing that these things, they might look good. They might give the appearance of wisdom. But in reality, they're of no value at all. He says... If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body 
but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying, how do we grow as Christians? It's not by obeying some man-made rules that we add on top. But, verse 18, we, 19, we hold fast to the head, that is to Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole church family, nourished and knit together, grows through its joints and ligaments. We hold fast to Jesus, the head. We walk in him. And where does that growth come from? It comes from God. Now the question for us is, do we fall into the traps of these teachers, both individually as a church? Do we add conditions to the gospel? What gospel are we going out and sharing? Is it the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it that plus other things? Do we expect people to behave in a certain way in order to be a Christian? Do we add to the gospel? Or are we critical? Do we sit in judgment on others as if we were some kind of elite within the body of believers? Now, don't mishear me on this. As we saw earlier, we need to lovingly warn those who are going astray. We can't be giving false hope, false assurance where there isn't a basis for it. We can't be watering down the gospel. But let's not elevate things that are not salvation issues to the level of Christ. Let's not consider ourselves better than others who are trusting in Jesus Christ. Because how was our record of debt dealt with? It was nailed to the cross. How was our brother and sister in Christ record of debt dealt with. It was nailed to the cross. We're both completely dependent on Jesus. And do you see as well how destabilizing this false teaching can be to the believer? To be judged, to be told you're doing it wrong, to be told you need to be doing something more to be certain of your eternal salvation. That's why this false teaching can be so destructive. And that's why understanding deep down in our hearts the foundational truths of the gospel is so important. That's why Paul has spent so much time in verses 9 to 15 laying out in detail the good news of what we have in Jesus. He could have just said, verse 8, don't be deceived, don't be taken captive. These people are talking rubbish, ignore them. But he doesn't. He goes on to paint this wonderful picture of the treasures, the riches of what we have in Christ. Because he wanted the Colossian believers and he wants us to grasp the wonder of what we have in Jesus. To be established in the faith, to be able to delight in Christ. To be able to see how everything else pales into insignificance in comparison with him. It's easy for us to be distracted. It's easy to lose sight of Christ. 
to be destabilized by false teaching. And that's why we each need to be brought back, brought back to and delight in those foundational truths of the gospel. Let's be reminding and teaching and encouraging one another in these things so that we can hold fast, that we won't be tossed to and fro by the waves, by each new idea, so we can discern when false teaching comes. And that's why I encourage you, whenever anyone stands up here and preaches, have your Bible open so you can see, is what the person here is saying Is that what the Bible is saying? Or is it what they're saying? Don't listen to me. Check what is being said against the Bible. As we close, don't be deceived. Don't be taken captive. Instead, look to Christ. Remember who he is. Remember all we have in him. Let's recognize our complete dependence upon him. And remember that there is nothing lacking in him. There is nothing to be added to him. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we can have fullness of life the forgiveness of our sins, fellowship with you, and freedom from death. Lord, help us to treasure and delight in Jesus, not to be deceived into seeking those things elsewhere. And Father, help us by your Spirit to walk in him, to be rooted and built up in him, and help us to point others to him to point them not to a self-made, man-made religion that cannot save, but to you, their Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.